Hello, everybody. Welcome to Vineyard Community Church. As we continue on in a series we're doing called You Have the Words, um, this is all about Jesus having the words of life, eternal life. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking uh, some time to look at some of the amazing things that Jesus said. Um, but besides looking at those things, my hope is that this would be an encouragement to you as a um, sort of a devotional exercise that, that um, you would begin to use this process that we're going through to sort of help in your own personal devotion times. And one of the things that I love to do is to take a passage of Scripture or something that Jesus said or an encounter or something like that, and then I'll just spend a week sort of thinking about that encounter. And I, I ask God to help me use the holy imagination that He's given me uh, and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the, the, um, the Scripture and then um, just sort of begin to uh, work through that and to consider you know, what it would have been like to be there, to be part of the crowd, to be one of the disciples, what Jesus was perhaps thinking, um, what the Pharisees were thinking, you know, and, and just sort of ask God to help me work through that situation because it really allows the Scripture to come to life. And so what we're doing in this series is I'm just taking something like that and this is something that Jesus said and sort of going over it with you, the things that sort of pop into my brain, the things that I think about in the process, and then hope that you'll do that for the next the week or so, and that eventually when we finish this series, you'll, you'll have this habit in you, and you'll continue to do that as you go. Take things that Jesus said, or passages you read, and just kind of narrow it down, and really focus in on it, and, and ask God to help you really understand it. So, uh, so far, you know, we've We've looked at several different things that Jesus said, seven different things already. Some of my favorites are one of the first ones we looked at when Jesus looks at two of John the Baptist's disciples and he asks them, what do you want? And to me, that's one of the greatest questions ever because uh, he had just been introduced to, to all of us by the Apostle John as the one who spoke everything into being. And here's the very one who spoke it all into existence who says, hey, what do you want? And uh, it's, a, it's an amazing question. And I, I really feel like the, the place where we find life is when we get to that place where we can say, Lord, I just want what you want. And that, um, that but that's a process to get there. Uh, and, and then we've looked at several other things. My, one of my other favorite questions, you know, do you want to get well? He asked the man who had been not well for a very, very long time. And last week we talked about, you know, making judgments by mere appearances and learning to make right judgments instead. Today I want to look at something Jesus says about being the light of the world. So that's where we're headed. That's the intro. Transition always has a bad joke. These are horrendous, so I've really outdone myself. You know, but as someone who tells a lot of bad jokes, as you know, I've decided that jokes about German sausage are the worst. It's just something I've come to. Uh, I was in a theatrical performance once about, about puns. It was a play on words. Scripture reading here on purpose. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. But, but <laughs> I know. I was watching something going on. It's worked out all right. But I thought the <laughs> some people that had just walked in turned around and walked out. But they didn't. They, their, their kids were just going back to this children's church. So I was like, wow, it was really bad. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. This will be much better. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. 
In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let, them, let him be the first to throw a stone in her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And blessed be the word of the Lord. What I want to look at today is uh, something that Jesus says in John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to consider that together with you this evening and, as, uh, and look at it in the context of this story and this encounter and what was taking place. So um, one of the things I always kind of like to consider is, uh, first point in your notes, what was Jesus writing? What was Jesus writing? I have this um, belief that um, depending on how many times you've thought through this and how many different ways you've taught on this, you, you might think that you have a pretty good idea of what Jesus was writing. Um, John 8, 6, they were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. The reality, though, is the Bible doesn't say, so there's absolutely no way of knowing what Jesus was writing. People over the last couple of thousand years have offered lots of suggestions, but that's all they are. Um, we just don't know what he was writing. Some people say he was writing down the sins of the accusers, some say he was writing the Ten Commandments. I read a, a viewpoint on it this week that perhaps it was a fulfillment of Jeremiah 17, which says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. I that, was, that sounded pretty good as well. Um, and, and all sorts of different things. I used to say all the time, I think maybe he just sat down and was playing tic-tac-toe. But not everybody appreciated me saying that. And so now I sort of tend to tell people, I think he was just writing down five things he was thankful for. And uh, so should you, every day. It's a really a good thing to do. So, um, so we don't know. I just bring that up so we don't know. And, and, um, and, if you, and invariably someone will feel like they need to come and defend that with me. And that's okay. But, but we don't know. So um, there you go. So we don't know what he was writing, but, but he was writing something in the dust in this situation. Now, second thing that I want to talk about is this, that Jesus is the light of the world. Verse 12, he says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As followers of Jesus, we will have the light of life. Now, the Pharisees who are the, the other group in this story, they were living out of the light of the law. But the light of the law is actually the darkness of legalism. It's a false light. And, and, and so it's a darkness. It's the darkness of legalism. And you can see in this encounter the two extremes that we're looking at in this story. Um, the difference at how the light of life 
and the darkness of legalism, which is the light of law, treat this woman who's caught in adultery. So let's start by talking about first, point three, the darkness of legalism, A under there. So, so this darkness of legalism, first thing in, in A, is that it doesn't care about people. It really doesn't care about people. What um, legalism cares about is the rules more than people. It doesn't care about people. John 8, 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. They didn't care about this woman. They were using her as a trap for Jesus. Um, they could care less about what this was like, uh, how, how horrendous it would be to be dragged in front of a group like that. They, they cared nothing for her at all. They just saw her as an opportunity for them to try and trap Jesus. She was just something to be used um, and didn't count uh, in their eyes as, as, a, as a person. Um, and these, uh, understand, these are the religious leaders. These are the people that are supposed to be pointing people towards God, but uh, they've sort of lost their ability to see because they're trapped in the darkness of legalism. The light of the law, which is the darkness of legalism, has made them spiritually blind. And they've stopped caring about people altogether. They just don't care about anybody but themselves. They don't care about people. Um, and so, so the, the first thing about legalism is it, it doesn't care about people. It always will bend to the rules over people first and foremost. It's also, point B, selective. It's, it's selective. Again in verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Last time I checked, how many people need to be involved uh, in adultery? It takes two. Where was the guy? Why didn't they drag him in front of the group? He would have also been caught in adultery. They caught them in the act. Where was he? But they, it, it didn't care um, about that. They just wanted to take this woman and use her as, as bait. Maybe he paid his way out, or maybe he was one of the Pharisees. We don't know who he was, but he ain't there. And, 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 and that makes this a very selective enforcement of the rules. Um, because, again, they, they, they just they want to use people for whatever end they can in the process. And so um, uh, legalism doesn't care about people. It's very selective. You know, they, they didn't enforce these things on themselves, only outwardly. Um, but, but they didn't abide by them. They had, all, they, had written, they had written rules so they could purposely bend around them so that they could make, enforce them with everybody else but not, not have to deal with them themselves. And the darkness of legalism also does this. See, it always focuses on the punishment. It focuses on the punishment. John 8, 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? This was what they asked Jesus. It was a trap. You know, if, if uh, they thought they had Jesus, because if he said, yeah, you're right, go ahead and stone her, then, then his whole gig is gone, because all he cares about people. Uh, and also, it, you know, it, was, it would have been a violation of Roman law. And if he says, you know, well, don't do it at all, then they've got him hung up on the, on the, on the law of Moses. So they think it's a, no, it's a win-win situation for them that there's no way out for Jesus. But there certainly is, and we'll look at that in a minute. But see, the darkness of legalism is always about the punishment. Um, it, it likes to tell people they're going to hell. It, it doesn't point them to a God who loves them and made a way for them to have eternal life with them. It just points at their sin and tells them that they deserve 
to die. And, and see, while there is some basic truth in what they're saying, because biblically, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we know that the wages of sin and death, you know, that's from chapters Romans 3 and, and Romans 6, but, but this whole sort of legalistic, morally superior acting, finger-pointing message is never what we see Jesus do in his encounters with people. And, and the reality in this encounter is that because he is the only one without sin, he's the only one who could have ultimately thrown a stone, and he doesn't. And so what he demonstrates is the light of life. And this is what we're to model. And so let's look at what Jesus does and how he treats this woman. So you've just seen the, the law, legalism, and, and the way that they treat this woman. Now let's look at point four, the light of life and how he moves into this situation. Because remember, he's our model in everything. So, point A, the light of life cares about people more than rules. It cares about the heart of people. It cares about what's going on uh, underneath the situation. It, it cares about, you know, understanding that people are broken. It cares about what people are, are where they're at, and meeting them there. John 8, 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? No one could. No one had picked up a stone. See, after everyone else has walked away, Jesus is still there. And he begins to minister to this woman. And remember, she had been so humiliatingly placed in front of this critical finger-pointing crowd. And, and I, you know, I just imagine, you know, when you, how this woman embarrassed, um, scared, thinking really she was probably about to die, to be stoned to death. And, and Jesus stands next to her and says, look, they're all gone. No one has condemned you. He demonstrates his concern for her, his care for her, his, his love for her, as he does over and over and over again in encounters. And, and the, the light of life, B, understands that we're all sinners. It, it always remembers that. John 8, 7, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, if anyone of you without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And nobody could. Nobody could. And this is a situation. See, because none of us is without sin, none of us should be throwing stones or pointing fingers. It just shouldn't be the way that we operate in the world around us. Um, that's, that's what the light of the law does. That's the, the trap of the darkness of legalism. It's not a picture of the light of life. Because the light of life, see, always offers hope of a righteous life. It always offers the hope of a righteous life. John 8, 11, no one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, you have to understand... Uh, and I think it's very important we understand in, in the things that I'm talking about is that Jesus doesn't take sin lightly and, and Jesus never says that we don't need to deal with our sin. But what Jesus always does with people is he loves them so they can change. Because, see, if, if people don't feel loved um, and, and if they don't feel loved from the church, then, then they're, they're, we lose what we have to offer them that can help them to ultimately leave the life of sin and, and then have the hope of a life with God forever. It's this whole process of, of understanding the difference of the light of life 
and the darkness of legalism, the light of life and the light of the law. It's understanding the difference that's been entrusted to us so that we can make an impact in the world around us. And, and we've talked already about how important it is to see the beauty of people's potential. You know, and, and, and I, I, I like to bring that before you because I think it's such an, uh, such an important part of how we walk. That, that um, we're always to look at the beauty of people's potential when we see them. Because that's the way that, that God has always treated us. I, I know from, you know, from the beginning, um, when, I, when I can begin to sort of peek behind the, the curtain when I didn't know him, you know, for the first uh, 19 years of my life, um, and, then, and then really for the first 25 years, but I had a glimpse of who he was at age 19 more than ever. And I, I don't know, but you know, I actually grew up in, in, um, in America and had never heard the gospel until I was 18. What do you think about that? I had never heard the gospel until I was 18 years old. And, and then when I heard it, I thought it was hooey because I was trained to think that way. And, uh, and actually, I only heard it sort of secondhand because someone from, I think it was a Campus Crusade for Christ guy or something, had come and talked to my roommate, who was far more open than I was, and I, I was just uh, in college, and I'm like, dude, are you really listening to that? But, but uh, that, so I remember that. And then, you know, another encounter I had when I was 19, an experience where someone really explained to me the gospel. Um, and I, I know I've told that story before, but he, he explained it so clearly and he made it seem um, like something that seemed good uh, and, and he had already earned my trust over a two-summer process and so I, I listened to him and, and um, he really demonstrated it to me but uh, at the time, I think, I, and I, I think I've told you this, I, I decided, he, off, you know, he said, you, you need to follow Jesus, will you pray with me? And I was like, I'm getting no. And, he, and, and the reason I said no is I couldn't see how they had any fun. Um, I just couldn't figure that part out. Because my, my, my definition of fun was pretty crazy. And I'm like, I, I don't know, I, I, I think it, you know, I was like, I, I believe it, you know, what you're telling me. But yeah, I'm not ready for that. And so I, I, um, I moved away again from, from the Lord and went, I went way out that time. And uh, came back at 25, at 25 years old, um, in a very sort of amazing set of coincidences. Um, it, it was presented to me again and, and at this point you know when I was listening I, I could tell something was going on and, it, and you know that night I actually I, I went home that night I didn't, didn't even know what I was doing I, I just um, I, I remember kneeling down by the side of my bed and uh, I said okay God if you're real then here I am I'm yours that was it that was the extent of my salvation prayer uh, it took I, I literally was different the next day I'd like to tell you I was perfect, but that still ain't happened. <laughs> but I was so different, it was kind of shocking. I mean, to me and to the people around me. And it was neat. It was part of the story. My, my, my bride, Alice, she prayed that same prayer that same night, same time in our bedroom. Neither one of us knew. Uh, very, very amazing how that happened. 1985. Um, but, but all along... Uh, as, and all the mess that I got into and all the stuff that I was doing and the drugs and the, and the you know, the drug use and selling drugs and all the crazy stuff I was into. Um, through it all, in these moments of clarity that I would have with God, um, he, oh, he never treated me like that. I, I could tell that, that He loved me. And, and so, you know, when, when this next, that, that next opportunity came, I was like, okay, God, I'm yours. 
And um, that's, that's been since uh, sometime in 1985, I think, the end of the summer in 1985. So, yeah. Um, so that's why I always say, you know, we, we have to see the beauty of people's potential. If you'd have, if you'd have known me then, um, but, but, you know, it's, it's much different now. And, and, but God's known me all the way. And, and so he's always treated me with this amazing love. That's all I can, that's all I know. Um, even, you know, way before I was, I was in. So um, he wants us to treat people that way. That's the impact that we can have on people is that we can love them where they're at. And it doesn't mean we have to, uh, you know, it, it, we're not licensing sin in accepting people. That's the, you know, grace is loving people where they're at and allowing God to, to do what he needs to do. Um, because, see, the change that happens in us comes after we come in. It comes after we, we pray that, whatever that prayer looks like, Lord, will you be my Savior? Um, then the Holy Spirit comes and then change begins. Uh, but until then, you know, on our own strength, we have, we have very little to move into the process. So, you know, all of that said, I, I say that to say this, um, that, that this idea of being the light of life, that the light of life shines through us, that we need to see people in the beauty of their potential, make sure we don't get lost in the darkness of legalism. It doesn't care about people, it just cares about rules and, and just keeps people from the kingdom. And, and that we need to be those who allow this light of life to shine through us, to be a grace-filled people because we've been shown so much grace. And it changes the way that we not only look at life, but the way that we operate in it with people. And it's really what, you know, God is calling us to on this journey. So, you know, if we don't love people well, we can't help them to be able to change and because the change happens in coming into the kingdom and knowing Jesus. So anyway, um, I just consider you to think about that this week. Uh, think about all those things. Think about that amazing encounter. What it would have been like to be there, um, you know, as part of the group uh, who had gathered around sort of self, you know, extremely self-righteously. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a situation, but I, I think we could probably all think of something where we've decided that we were self, you know, that self-righteous thing creeps up and how, you know, in, in retrospect of those things, how horrendous that is. Um, you know, think about what it would have been like to be this woman and caught. Anybody ever been caught in the, not maybe that sin, but in anything? I, isn't it horrendous to feel caught and exposed and, and, and yet, um, and here's Jesus just loving. It's right there. Never leaves. I got you. I don't condemn you. And then, and then from that, being able to say, okay, but, you know, don't, don't go back to that life there's a better life awaits you and, and move into that think about those things I think it really changes the way that we look at the world around us and that changes us that's what God's up to in our lives but that's good for um, today uh, if you're watching on the video or on TV thank you so much appreciate you doing that love for you to visit sometime if you need prayer go to the website and uh, there's a place to put in your prayer request we'll pray for you and we'll hope to see you soon